Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley-Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and just ask us. While the greater the strength, the more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. The Penis Project podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by PROST, Exercise for Prostate Cancer, and the RS Health Penile Rehabilitation Program. PROST is a not-for-profit charity set up by myself in 2012 that aims to help men exercise during their experience with prostate cancer. If you want to know anything more about PROST, including our online service and USB product now available, please just go to prost.com.au. The Penile Rehabilitation Program was created by Melissa at Restorative Sexual Health. This is an online program to assist turning software into hardware without leaving your home. This program was designed for people who live in areas where access to health professionals in this area is not available, or for those who are just too busy to attend consults, or even for those who just feel more comfortable learning at home with online learning and consultations online. For more information about this program, please go to www.rshealth.com.au. Prost means cheers to your health, so prost to you. November 11th. 11 a.m. 60 seconds kids watch on the wall in the pub in the tab in the cars we remember and wonder what Welcome to the Penis Project podcast. It's a great delight to welcome Ken Bazant who uh, is long known to us here at the Penis uh, Project podcast as a prostate cancer survivor and thriver and also that he runs a prostate cancer support group for men and their partners undergoing um, treatment for prostate cancer. So Melissa is sitting with me here today and we welcome Melissa as well. Hello, how are you going? Hi, Melissa. Great, thanks. Now, Ken, would you mind giving us a bit of a brief outline of your own experience with prostate cancer? Um, yeah, I suppose I was lucky that I had a, a very good GP who conducts annual health checks. Um, but at one stage, I became very busy with work and life and forgot to have them for a couple of years. And I was actually having a swim and I looked down and I noticed I had a big uh, bulge in my groin. I thought something's going wrong here. So I better go and see the GP. And um, he said, well, we've got a hernia there. We need to we need to get that looked at pretty well straight away. Um, but he said, also, you haven't been had your health, health checks for a couple of years. So I'm going to I'm going to do them right here and now. So he did. And um, when I got the results back, he said to me, look, you I've got a bit of concern because you're PSA has gone up. It's more than doubled in the last two years. And um, it could just be an infection or something. So I'll give you some antibiotics to start with, see how you go. And um, we'll, we'll do the test again in a few weeks. So I went back and had the test again, and it showed even a slightly higher PSA than the, than the initial one. Um, and he had a feel, I did a digital rectal exam and said, look, I, I feel there's an irregularity there we better send you off to a specialist. So 
I got two for the price of one. I got a referral to a surgeon to fix up the hernia and a urologist to have a look at the prostate cancer. Um, so the urologist um, confirmed the concerns and he did a biopsy. And the biopsy came back um, pretty much straight away um, that I had uh, prostate cancer and it was a Gleason score of seven, a four plus three. And he recommended that uh, I have some treatment, uh, either uh, surgery or radiation, to go away and have a think about it, uh, and and come back. So um, I went off, and uh, like most people, did a lot of research, um, tried to find out on the internet and reading books uh, all about it, uh, what I could what I could do about it, um, and I I knew that I had a high risk of prostate cancer or ca any cancer because my wife uh, my mother had died of prostate cancer at uh, fifty one. Your mother. Uh, my mother, yeah. Breast cancer, you mean? My mother, sorry. <laughs> sorry. We had to edit that one out. Uh, my mother had died of breast cancer at fifty one, oh. and um, my father had died of prostate cancer after surviving throat cancer. And six months before I was diagnosed, my brother was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Okay, so it's a so big just familial risk there. Strong family risk, yeah. Um, so the funny thing that came out of it all was that, you know, I, I talk to a lot of guys about when they get diagnosed and a lot of people are very angry about it and are really upset. And I remember driving home in the car after seeing the urologist and getting the diagnosis. And I said to my wife, who'd, who'd come with me, let's go out to dinner and celebrate. And, and <laughs> oh, wow. She said, why? And I said, look, I, I think it's great that just by the, a chance it's been picked up, it's been picked up early, I've got a good chance of survival, and I think that's something that we, we should celebrate. So we went out to dinner that night. That's a great attitude. It says so much about you, Ken. Hmm. Yeah, I thought, I thought um, you know, it's, it's something you, you you can't give up on when you when you get a diagnosis. You just got to do what you can. Put your trust in the people who are looking after you, um, and do everything you can to to get better. That's great. And how long ago was this, Ken? That was eight years ago, two thousand and thirteen. And you're still cancer free. I'm still cancer free, so I'm still having regular PSA tests, and they're still undetectable at the stage. And what treatment did you end up having, Ken? I ended up having uh, an open radical prostatectomy. Mm -hmm. So at that stage, sort of uh, robotics were sort of just making their mark here. There was a few guys that had, that had had them, um, but they were still expensive at that stage. And um, I was self-employed, so, you know, working from home didn't really worry me that much. Uh, taking a bit more time to, to uh, get back healthy again wasn't a great worry for me. Um, and, um, I suppose I was more worried about the side effects than anything. I was worried particularly about erectile dysfunction because I was only 59 when I was diagnosed. Um, so I, I thought, um, you know, at one stage, maybe it was better not to have any treatment to maintain a nice, healthy sex life and forget about it um, and die when I died. But my wife had some pretty strong feelings about that. <laughs> she wanted you around. Me, yeah, talked me into doing something. And so how did you go with your sexual function after the treatment? Um, with incontinence, I was really good. I, I uh, was dry within a month uh, and, and have stayed fairly good ever since. Uh, with the sexual function, um, I was worried because I remember that the 
uh, hospital hadn't done my pre-admin tests. So it was a real rush. I was the first patient in the morning. It was a real rush to get all those done. And, it, and they ended up putting me in a wheelchair and wheeling me into the operating theatre. And before I jumped on the table, operating table, I said to the urologist, you be careful uh, with those nerves. Mm-hmm. And he smiled at me and said, we'll do what we can. And I remember the first thing I said to him when I'd come out of it and I was back in my room and he came to visit me to tell me the results um, was that how did you go with the nerves? And he said to me, look, I'm really sorry. The nerves on one side couldn't be saved. Um, the, the cancer had grown to the surface and um, I wasn't I wasn't comfortable in leaving the nerves on that side. I thought, you know, you may have some problems going on. Uh, so I removed uh, half of the nerves. Uh, hopefully the others will regenerate and you might get some some use back. So I did everything I could. I went to see sexual health specialists. I went on a penile rehab program. I took tablets. Um, I used a pump. Uh, I went on injections. Um, and then about two years later, I got to a point where I thought, you know, it should be, there should be some function now if there's going to be a function, and there simply wasn't. Um, so I went back to the urologist for my annual check, and he asked me how I was going, and I said I was worried about this. And he said, two years, you should have had some function back yet, but give it another year and see how you go. So at three years, I went back to see him again, and he said, at this time, if nothing's happening, it's not, never going to happen. So it's still, nothing was still happening? Nothing was happening, no. Were you, were you able to use the injections okay? Yeah, the injections I was using okay, but what I yeah. found was that I was using more and more of of the serum um, to get a good in uh, get a good erection. So in the end, I was using nearly a full um, a needle full uh, of of the compound. Um, so you know, about nine tenths of a of a needle. So I was only getting about five or six doses out of a, a vial. Yeah. Makes um, it so expensive if you have yeah, to use that much. So and, yeah. and it really wasn't very romantic to say in the in the middle of getting horny that you wanted to go away and have an injection and and wait 10 minutes sort of thing till something happened. Um, So I started doing some research on what other options are available. And uh, after three years, the the doctor saying to me, it's not gonna happen. I remember walking out of his rooms and thinking, yeah, that's that's life over. I've I've sort of, nothing's ever gonna change. Um, But we'd had some good guest speakers at our meetings and and one of them had talked to us about penile implants and I thought I'll explore that a bit further so I went to see him and had a good talk to him and he said I'm look you're a good candidate for it um so I eventually had a a a penile implant it was nearly four years after my surgery um that I had Uh, and that works brilliantly for me so So you've had that now about four years have you uh yeah I've had it well sorry I had the first one for three years and it failed after three years sadly um and they couldn't work out why it failed. It was a mechanical failure of the implant. Um, right. And very unusual. The stats that the manufacturer gave me said that at that stage, only about 2.5% of the implants would fail. So I was in the lucky, unlucky 2.5%. It depends on how um, much use that it had as well, potentially. Mm. Yeah, well. <laughs> but they yeah, should no. last like eight years. So that, that was definitely yeah, yeah. in your case. Yeah. I remember... Well, talking yeah. about that was a was a fail mechanical failure mechanical failure yeah yeah the interesting thing is i was told initially that they get 10 to 12 years out of them but most recently i've been told 8 to 10 because um men are living longer uh, with mm. them and being more sexually active obviously so maybe it is a use 
a use mm -hmm. factor that we get less life out of them. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I had it redone. Um, and I didn't hesitate to have it redone. There was no option. Obviously, there was no no sex because by then there was there was no other option for. Me. Um, but I didn't hesitate. Uh, had it redone, and um, it didn't take me anywhere near as long in a second time to uh, to recover from it. I didn't have the same level of pain and bruising, etc. Um, and, and that's that's been good. It's working fine. I've had that for um, about nine months now. Mm -hmm. And so this that's great. And this whole prostate cancer journey led you to lead the PCA, PCFA support group, didn't it? Is that so? Tell us why and how you got involved. Yeah, well, when I was trying to do some research to try and find out um, whether I was doing the right thing, I, I sort of looked at surgery and looked at radiation, and and like a lot of men, particularly younger men, I suppose. Um, I thought surgery was a good option for me. I just wanted it out of my body. I thought once it's gone, hopefully it won't come back again. Uh, and I wasn't really comfortable about the decision, although I'd booked in for the operation. So I, I found a, a local support group uh, at Western Suburbs and went along to that. And I found that by talking to the people there and them sharing their experiences openly and honestly with me, um, that I really felt that I'd made the right decision. I was very comfortable with it. I, I remember leaving the meeting um, feeling that, you know, this is the right way to go. It was just a, a great, friendly atmosphere. Um, and I made a lot of friends there. So I kept going back because I was worried about, obviously, the side effects. Um, so I kept going back and um, kept telling my story and, and kept sharing with others. Uh, and eventually the support group leader, um, Roger, who'd started the group about five years before, decided that he'd, um, he was moving into state and was stepping down from the leadership and needed someone to take it over. So um, I was approached by PCFA and uh, I said, look, I, I don't want to do it alone, but let's try and get a team of people together to make this happen and see how we go. And they did that. They put three of us together. Um, I was by default the front man, I suppose. Um, and I, I took it over uh, nearly eight years ago, eight years ago next month. It's been a long uh, time. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I originally decided that I'd take it over for two years. Roger had done it for five. I thought two years is enough. I'll give, give it to somebody else. Um, but after two years, there was no one there willing to, to take on the role. And I suppose I've just... Um, I've just run with it. I, I still enjoy um, the role of, of participating. I, I like sharing my knowledge with others. Uh, I've learned a hell of a lot uh, since having uh, this, the treatment. Uh, and I'd certainly um, like to be able to get someone else involved in, in, in running it. I have a team of people who help me still. Um, but I, I suppose it's a big step for people to... to uh, want to take on the role of running a support group. Um, although it's relatively easy, um, it, is a, it is a fairly um, regular commitment. And how do partners go along? Or, sorry, how do partners get involved and, and do, do many of them come along? Yeah, um, we always encourage partners to come along because they're a really big party, part of a man's journey in, in their health. Um, they're usually the ones that will talk the guys into going along and getting a health check in the first place. Yeah. Um, they're the ones that, that it, it's really funny because um, 
more recently, I think our roles have reversed. I'm I'm the one that tells my wife now to go and get a whole thing <laughs> um, rather than the other way around. Um, but, yeah, they're usually the ones there. And I, I think really from the outset, especially at diagnosis stage, taking your partner along is really great because a lot of guys hear the word cancer and they just tune out. It's just white noise. They don't hear what the doctor says from then on. At, at least with having your partner there, they can share the, the experience they can understand a little bit better they can help guide you they, there's someone to help bounce ideas off and 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 talk to about your innermost feelings um, so we really encourage them to come along to meetings um, at the moment probably about a quarter to a third of the people who attend our meetings are partners um, some guys um, just come by themselves some guys simply sadly don't have a, a partner to, to share that journey with um, but uh, we certainly encourage them they participate in all of the discussions we get uh, fairly intimate in a lot of the discussions we talk about at support groups and and no one's really embarrassed to talk in in front of the partners um, we find we find that a you know a great thing that, that they participate um, and um I don't want to say any sexist comments, but someone has to do the washing up at the end of the night. <laughs> you just did. So that's all the men. They're all in the kitchen washing up then, aren't they? Why the women that, having a beer? No, after they're not. I, I look after them. I use disposable cups. You do, you do. And what about, you, you set up a, a different type of group as well. You're a bit of sucker punishment, Ken. You you have a, a coffee morning once a fortnight or once a month, is it? We, we do, yeah, because... Um, at one stage, there was talk of one of our uh, northern uh, groups, Ocean Reef, uh, folding up. They couldn't get a support group leader to take it over. And I thought, that's pretty sad. And and um, one of the other uh, groups down in Denmark, they'd been running morning tea groups, and they reckon they were, they were great. Um, they were pretty successful. So I thought, well, why not as an option? Um, let's try it and see how we go. So we meet... Um, on the fourth Wednesday of each month. We have our normal meetings on the second Wednesday. So two weeks later on the fourth Wednesday, we meet up at Dome Cafe and Hillary's Marina. And it's a much more informal situation. A lot of the partners come along there as well too. And um, the idea then is just to have a coffee and a, and a chat. And we talk about, obviously, our problems with prostate cancer, but we can talk about anything, about fishing, travel, hobbies, whatever we, we like. Um, finances, anything that goes way outside of what we normally talk about in the support group. Um, and it's a much more social group, I suppose. Uh, and it gives the opportunity of people who can't attend a nighttime meeting to come along as well. So there's a few older members who maybe can't drive at nighttime or can't get to nighttime meetings um, who will come along and have a have a regular chat and a coffee with us. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, Joe and I have both been to your group. It's really, yep. you've got lots of members that regularly come. How many people do you usually get at a meeting? Um, it dropped off a little bit last year because people got a bit concerned with COVID, I suppose, and some of the restrictions yeah. we had. Um, but we'd get anywhere between 25 and 45 people regularly mm-hmm. at a meeting. Uh, if we've got a good speaker, we get 35, 40. Well, that's why when Joe and I've been there, you've got a hundred. It's packed, that's isn't it? Hundred, yeah, there's a hundred or more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we, we we can't invite you every month, so we've got a fluctuation <laughs> number. Um, easy. We um, we really try to have a range of topics there that interest people. 
Uh, and uh, we're really lucky that most specialists in our field, including you guys, give up their time so freely to come along. And, and that certainly encourages people to come. We've got about 200 members currently on our mailing list. Mm. Um, and some of them just stay there for the information that we provide. They don't obviously regularly attend the meetings. But we also open up our meetings and promote them to all the other support groups. So, you know, when we have a great guest speaker, obviously we get people from all, all, uh, all areas coming, coming to share that knowledge. And there, there are many support groups. There's about 150 Australia-wide. So if anyone is interested in looking at support groups, who should they go to if they can't come to yours, Ken? Uh, if they can't go at, at PCFA, um, if you have a look on their website, it'll give you a, a range of the support groups there. Uh, sadly, some of the support groups in WA aren't currently meeting. Uh, they are still listed on the PCFA website, uh, and there is a contact there that will uh, be able to talk to people one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, still happy to talk to people, but um, th these are some of the regional areas where, where they had you know, a much smaller audience, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, and sadly, in Perth, we have lost a few of our uh, regular groups as well. Um, this year, we've lost the partners group, which is really sad because oh, right. uh, the partners groups are currently no longer meeting. They, they couldn't get a leader to take that over um, mm. because it, it gave a lot of solace to women to be able to sit there and talk together. We found that in, since they have stopped meeting, we're getting a few more partners along. In fact, recently, we've had... Uh, one lady who's just coming by herself, her husband won't come to the support groups. Wow. Yep. But she comes because she wants to know all about it and, and share that information with him, which is great. Yeah, mm. good on her. Mm. So what are the challenges in running a support group? Why do you think it's so hard to get people to take these things on? Um, I don't know. I think I think they think it's a lot of work and, it, and it's, it's not really. I suppose I've made a rod from my own back by... Um, creating a group that we, we every month we have a guest speaker uh, and we have our coffee mornings as well. So it's a commitment to two meetings a month. Uh, but having said that, we've got a system in place now where if I'm not able to come to the support group, there are members within our group who will step up and take it over. So mm. if I want a night off or, or go away on, on a trip for a week or a couple of weeks or something, um, then there's the ability to to have someone fulfil that. I think most people are frightened of public speaking, but that's not a great problem either. We're all friends there, and, and I've never been concerned about talking to people about anything there. Um, the biggest uh, problems that I have is, um, personally, is it can be emotionally draining because, you know, we're talking to people who, who have a wide range of health issues, um, and some, particularly those guys with very advanced uh, prostate cancer, uh, are still coming. It, it makes me feel ashamed sometimes that you know, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with me really. I'm, I've I've had my treatment and I'm I'm cured from it really. Um, but there's guys that come along who who uh, you know make me think, how do these guys keep going? It's it's amazing, and they do they do come along because they find such satisfaction in participating in the group. Mm. Interesting um, that you just said that you feel ashamed when. Um, I couldn't think of a more honourable thing to be doing is standing up, up for a man. Even even you, you know, having the ongoing experiences getting the penile um, implant, not once but twice, you're constantly learning more yourself. So uh, you've got to be proud of that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, 
I think that's one of the main reasons why I probably haven't just walked out and, and let the group try and find a leader by itself. I think the knowledge that support group leaders have, not just me, but the other support group leaders too, is incredible and that increases with time. You know, I, I hadn't had a radical prostatectomy myself, but I know a lot about it because I've we've had so many experts talk about it. We've had so many patients come and tell their experiences of it. Mm. Um, so I know as much about it probably as a patient who's been through that. Um, and the same with a whole lot of other treatments, which is great to be able to share that. Yeah. Now, moving on, you actually have set up your own not-for-profit organisation called Nutellops PCA Health. Uh, it's not my own. It's called the well, Prostate Cancer yeah. Health Association and it trades yep. as PCA Health. Yep. Um, and it's run entirely by volunteers. And we set that up a few years ago um, because when I first took on the, the leadership at the Western Suburbs, PCFA used to treat us really, really well. Um, they had a great support network for support groups. Uh, we even had a staff member that, that looked after us. So if, if I, for example, wanted a guest speaker, I would ring uh, Emily up and I'd say, a media up, sorry, and I'd say, you know, can you get us a, a speaker this month? And she'd do it for me. Um, we had regular uh, conferences. We had regular training of the uh, support group leaders. And what happened over time is that um, PCFA lost some of their funding and they were unable to continue to provide that level of service to us. So a, a small group of the leaders got together and we said, look, why don't we just stand on our own two feet? Why don't we go out there and raise some funds and do this for ourselves? We'll, we'll have a conference. We'll do some training. Uh, we'll help the support, other support group leaders run their groups. Uh, we'll promote uh, prostate cancer here. We'll go and raise some awareness by attending events and and, and waving a flag. Um, so that's what we did. We set it up informally to start with, and then we, we formally um, incorporated the association, and it's been growing considerably ever since then. This is why you can't find anyone to take over, Ken, because you're an overachiever. Well, I think I could uh, still run the PCA help if we... Um, I've got someone to take on with some others. I would happily hand over the reins uh, tomorrow. Tell us about some of your projects that you do with PCA Help, uh, the Tour de Gracetown. Um, yeah, well, we obviously need funds to provide the services that we do. Uh, we have very low overheads because we're all run by volunteers. There's no staff or officers or anything like that that we're paying for. Uh, our major cost is insurances because we need to ensure the safety of our volunteers who help us and the public that come to our events. Um, so we needed to raise some funds. We also run a, um, a dedicated phone line, sort of a, a phone line that's uh, manned by um, a people with a lived experience of prostate cancer. So people can ring 0411 and talk to somebody any time they like. And if Whoever answers the phone can't help them. They'll certainly put them on to someone who can. Wow, I didn't know that. Mm. Yeah, so we, we've got that as uh, running what as do you well. Call that? Sorry? What do you call that helpline? Has it got a name? We call it our dedicated helpline. It's just okay. a PCA yeah. help, helpline. Right, um, yeah. Yeah, and, um, yeah, so they're, they're um, two of the big things. And obviously we needed to raise funds for that. So we were lucky that we were approached by another charity, the Tour de Gracetown which is a, a, a 
a charitable ride uh, that goes from Gracetown in, in our southwest in Margaret River, uh, up through all the wine region, uh, up through to Yellingup, and finishes back at a, a winery uh, back in uh, in Quarima, uh at Juniper Estate, and it's it become a great social event for us. So th their whole aim in setting up their charity was to raise funds um, for um, different organisations, and it coincidentally happened that we were looking for someone to help us with fundraising. And at that time, one of the director's brothers had been diagnosed with advanced prostate cancer. Uh, so that, so we were a, a probably a pretty good fit. So we are one of two beneficiaries from that group and we have been uh, for the past three years uh, or three events, the last two years, three, the three events we've now contributed to. Uh, and we will again be one of the beneficiaries this year. There are other beneficiary is the Ladybird Foundation who um, look after ovarian and breast cancer. So between the two of us, we've got a huge amount of cancers uh, covered. So how far is that ride? How far do you have to ride? There's, there's three different courses that you can do um, in round numbers. Um, the shortest course is 60 kilometres, then 90 and then 120. Jesus. Uh, I was just, can you take an electric bike? I was just about to say, yeah, Joe and I should do it. We need to get an electric tandem and do it. When is you, it this you year? Can, <laughs> you could use an e-bike, but just make sure it's got a battery that'll last you that far. <laughs> we need this, Joe. We do. When okay. is it this year? Uh, it's on the 22nd of October. Mm. Uh, and How it's many riders? Great, how many riders? Um, well over 200. And that, wow. That, up towards the 300 uh, people will participate in the event. Um, they pay an entry fee. Most of the entry fee goes towards the charities um, at the end of the day. Um, I think the entry fee is $120 this year. Uh, and also um, there's other fundraising happens. So we get sponsorship. Uh, we have a team of riders who now ride under our Team PCA help uh, banner. Uh, and uh, last year there was uh, seven riders that participated in it. Um, this year, uh, we'll have about the same. We'll hopefully a couple more. Maybe two um, more. Maybe two more. Yeah, if I more, can yeah. find an electric tandem, we'll do it. Yeah, no worries. We can soon get one. Um, and the um, the oldest rider uh, this year will um, turn 80 the day before the event. Wow. wow. That's amazing. So, yeah. it's did you do the bike ride, Ken? So I do it. Yeah, the yeah. interesting thing is that when the charity said to me, look, we can help you, I thought, well, maybe I need to participate in this. And I hadn't ridden a bike for years. So I looked around online and found a cheap secondhand bike and, and bought it and thought, well, now I have to learn how to how to ride this thing. Um, <laughs> so the, one of the groups that runs uh, the ride um, actually have a cycling group, which I then joined. And they taught me how to how to ride a bike again. Um, I thought all kids learn how to ride a bike and never forgot. Um, you do, but if you get a fancy riding a racing bike, you know that there's a, a lot of other things that you have to learn. Um, so I'm, I'm still a member of that group. I still ride with them regularly. I actually take a, a ride every Wednesday uh, for that group. Now I'm a ride captain for that group. <laughs> yeah, so we can we can train you. We have training Mondays, Wednesdays, Saturdays. So. Own superhero uh, outfit, I think, Captain Ken. So if yeah. some, <laughs> so if somebody wants to do the ride, 
Yep. How do they register? What do they? Where do they go to? Um, the Tour de Gracetown has a Facebook page, or they can go to the PCA Help uh, website, pcahelp.org, O-R-G, mm-hmm. uh, and there's information there on how they can uh, join our team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I'd encourage them, obviously, to be part of our team because the more riders we have, um, the more uniforms we can flash around and show what we're riding for. Um, and we also have a huge range of volunteers that come down and help us. So it's not just the riders, it's the volunteers that make it such a successful day. Mm-hmm. So on the Friday afternoon, the 21st, we will have a sundowner. Mm-hmm. And the idea there is that people can pre-register. So they come along, grab their rider's bibs, um, get the, uh, the information on the ride. Uh, and we have uh, drinks at the winery uh, and we have pizzas. Uh, pizzas there, uh, and our volunteers man the booze for that. And then the next morning, our volunteers again get up nice and early and they have pre-registrations before the event at the Gracetown Town Hall. Uh, and then once the riders have left, uh, have all left, we go off in waves. Um, once the last rider's ridden out, they go back up to uh, Juniper Estate and they set up an area there where we have a real fun day. So we, we run a sausage sizzle there. Uh, there's pizzas there, there's uh, a bar there, obviously, there's a coffee van, uh, there's uh, lots of other little activities. We have a, a singer uh, on there uh, and it's a great day. So the families will come to that as well. They'll have lunch there after the event. Um, and again, we fundraise through uh, selling food and drinks here as well too. So a link to the um, Tour de Gracetown on the Penis Project page too, if you like, that goes straight to where people can join. If you send us a link, yeah. we'll do that. That's fantastic. We'll, we'll certainly send it to you. That would be great. Uh, and I'm serious. If anyone listening's got a a tandem bike, Joe and I can borrow. We'll be up for it. What do you reckon? I reckon that would be perfect. Pedal pushing. Yeah, Penis Project podcast. Yeah, we could have some <laughs> like. We'll take Jeffrey along for the ride too. For anyone oh. who doesn't know, Jeffrey's my pretend penis. So we'd take him. <laughs> He'd like to do it with a little hat on, I'm sure. Yeah, sort of in the basket at the front. Now, Ken, yeah, we loved it. Your, your eight years of the experience, working with um, not only yourself, but with so many, probably thousands of other men by now, do you think much has improved? Do you think we've come a long way in that eight years? Yeah, I, I think the treatments have improved considerably. There's a, a whole range of different treatments out there now, particularly in radiation. Um, And the surgery obviously has improved a lot. We've got a lot more surgeons now who are trained and experienced in offering the surgery when I I was first um, diagnosed. Um, But I think one of the main things that's happened is, apart from having a a wider range of specialists like you guys, um, we've also got the help of a a bigger range of prostate cancer specialist nurses now. And they've been a great help in our yeah. system um, and I think we need more and more of them we're just starting to see a couple come into the public system now I'd love to see many more in the public system because we've got a lot of guys that just can't simply afford to go through uh, you know privately and uh, and pay the cost for something like a radical prostatectomy so we need need much more help out there in, in that uh, in that arena the other thing I think we need a hell hell of a lot of more help in is our specialists help us with our physical health, but no one really helps us with our mental health. 
and we are constantly asked for referrals um, to uh, a consultant who can help with with that. And those few that we know of are terribly overworked, uh, yeah. particularly in the public arena. Um, mm. So I'd love to see someone who set themselves up uh, as a specialist psychologist uh, looking after people with prostate cancer. I think that would be a, a brilliant thing to have. Yeah, I agree, Ken. I spend a lot of time, because I do deal with depression as well, mm. and um, I do spend a lot of time talking to men about their mental health and then it is really hard to find some a referral pathway for them after that and yeah. um yeah my usual referral pathway is a handful of psychologists i know who deal well with this and sending them to a pca pca support group you know so but it is difficult and i think that's one of the reasons that joe and i wanted to start the podcast was so men could just listen and know other people are experiencing these things that yeah. they are and not just feel so alone because it's so difficult when you feel isolated, I think. Yeah, it's it's really important. And, um, you know, we find that guys keep coming back to the support group, not necessarily because they have problems. Um, most of them have you know, regained their health and they may not even have side effects, um, but because they find the uh, camaraderie, I suppose, of the group is a, is a great thing. They've got someone to talk to who's been through the same thing, and and that seriously helps them. And when we've, I've been surprised that when we have had speakers come and talk on mental health, that those people have been the ones who've usually been mostly affected by the the outcome of that talk. You know? They still they're still feeling that you know the effects of that. Um, it may even be ten or more years after they've had treatment. Mm. I think it really shakes your your like core. your core, like your mentality, doesn't it? You know, when someone tells you yeah. you've got cancer, it's like it's just really shakes you and makes you think, wow, like what am I doing with my life? We just spoke to a guy earlier um, who, you know, really reassessed how he was living his life following a prostate cancer yeah. journey. And I, I yeah. think that can be a good thing, but it can also be a scary thing. Yeah, I did the same thing. I, I changed my whole lifestyle. Um, quite considerably, and I suppose getting on the bike was part of that um, to 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 get fit again. Um, I went in last week for a, a little day procedure, and they tested my resting heart rate. And I was uh, before I went into the surgery, and I was uh, resting at fifty two. Wow! And they said to me, "You normally have a low heart rate," and I said, "Yes." And they said, "Why? Are you a cyclist?" And I was very proud to say, "Yes, I am." So um, it certainly helps, but diet. Um, I don't don't drink alcohol anymore. Um, my diet's changed totally. My health regime's to changed totally. It's just a wake up call, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. Well, Ken, I just want to say a massive thank you on behalf of I know thousands of men in Western Australia. Uh, it's a real honour to have you come along and uh, share your experience with us for our podcast series. We've covered lots and lots of topics, and uh, you're just a really generous person. And we might have to call you Captain Ken for the podcast if you're all right with that. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, thank you so much for sharing. It was just amazing. And, actually, thank you for everything you already are doing. Like your commitment is above and beyond, obviously, to men with prostate cancer and their partners. You're welcome. I, I do it because I enjoy it and I want to give back because I, I got so much out of it in the first place. And I, I thank you guys too for all the work you do. Uh, for us and all the specialists out there that, that really look after us. We, we really appreciate it.
tell you about a boy who lives inside me. He's been there all of my life. Hi, this is Dr. Joe. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We're getting so many emails, so many questions, and so much feedback. And Melissa and I are absolutely thrilled about this. What we'd really love you to do, though, is to share our podcast with anyone you think might benefit, including any man in your life. Simply download using your favourite podcast app or subscribe to the penisproject.org. You'll get a weekly email and new releases, and this helps our podcast get more people. And if you write a review and subscribe as well, well, we'll get known more widely across the globe. Meanwhile, let's keep the conversation going. Women, just a mystery to me. I've got a boy of my own now. It fills me with pride to see him growing so fast into a man.